This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint, as you all know, is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. And here's how we do this. We encourage all parents, all people to be fully invested in their own lives because if we parents are happy, engaged, aware, We can raise kids with those same ideals and we can show our kids how to be the people we want them to become by modeling it ourselves. We believe entirely that awareness is the foundation of creating a vision of successful parenting and being aware of what we want for our kids. We can be purposeful, parent with purpose, and do this day in and day out to leave a legacy of love and compassion for our kids and our future generations. This show is about talking with amazing people who are fully living their life to model for their own children how to be and follow their own passion and dreams. And I can't think of a better guest to talk with today than Mary Carlo Magno. Mary is an amazing person. She's the owner of Order, which specializes in clutter control, urban apartment solutions, office spaces, and shopping addiction. And her philosophy is simple. Do not let clutter control your life. She has been on TV a lot. She's been on the Oprah Winfrey Show, which we're going to talk about. It was a great segment. The Today Show, Fox & Friends, Dayside, The God Squad, CBS News, and Good Housekeeping TV. She's been interviewed by NPR, The Joan Hamburg Show, Martha Stewart, and Lisa Gibbons, and her approach is featured in tons of publications, Real Simple, Women's Day, Quick and Simple for me, Newsday, and Daily News, and she writes all the time for other amazing publications like Washington Post, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Pink Women's World, Body and Soul, and Figure. Her first book, Give It Up, My Year of Learning to Live Better and Less, Uh, was an amazing bestseller. She also wrote Secrets of Simplicity. And her third book, Live More, Want Less, is published by Story Publishing. And her first novel, Best Friend for Hire, will be published in June. And we're going to talk about that today, too. So today's show is called Secrets of Simplicity and Living Better. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Dan. So, Mary, I, uh, as I was learning about you and reading your stuff, of course, I go straight to uh, your Oprah uh, segment, and I was just drawn in by your story, which I'm sure you have told many, many, many times, and I just think this is a great way to, to dive in, to, to let our listeners know, tell us about your transformation, that, that transformational year, and how you, 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 you got to this journey, Well, believe it or not, I haven't told the story that much, mainly because um, at the time that I was being interviewed or asked to be on the Oprah show, I had just had my first son. So Uh. I was a new mom, and he was about five months old, and I was nursing and stressed out and 
couldn't possibly believe that they sent me home from the hospital with this child and no, you know, manual <laughs> to figure <laughs> out how to take care of this little seven-pound person. So um, at the time when Harpo Productions had called to have me on the program, I didn't even pick up the phone because I was holding my son and I was I was just, you know, riddled with stress. How am I going to take care of my baby? And my husband said, pick up the phone. Oprah is calling. And I said, wow, I'm more scared of my baby than I am of Oprah. <laughs> so I hesitated that a little bit. That puts things in perspective, right? Call. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, parenthood, as, as you well know, you've talked to many people about this experience, is really an awe-producing, um, angst-producing, and stress-producing um, time for new parents. So at the time, I I think it was a good thing, because I had I really thought about um, going on the Oprah show after having a five-month-old child um, and knowing that her audience was millions and millions of people, I probably would have focused a bit too much on it. So I had a, a healthy parenthood distraction there. Um, yep. Oprah uh, came along at a time when I had written my second book, which was Secrets of Simplicity, um, which is a, a journal on how to... Um, each person can, how each person can individualize their journey of living with less. And it goes back to talk about, um, you know, many of the, the civilizations and ancient religions that really embrace the simplicity movement, all the way up to Henry David Thoreau, who went to the woods to find a simpler life. I, like Thoreau, <laughs> would go mm -hmm. to the woods, but I would usually go to a large designer outlet mall. So we were similar <laughs> in some ways at that time. <laughs> Um, that really, that overconsumption and shopping addiction, which I was falling victim to, had led me to start writing and start the company to begin with. So mm -hmm. um, the, the first book, Give It Up, was a lesson in how to give up something mindfully each month, like the Catholics will give up something during Lent, to become more aware of your surroundings and have a general appreciation of life. So that's really where my journey began with that book. Well, and you described how you did this month by month. And as I was listening, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, this is tremendous uh, willpower, tremendous willpower. But I think if you can tell us, it goes, it goes actually much deeper than willpower. It almost becomes a way of being, a commitment to oneself. Yes. You know, I had read that um, it takes four weeks to make or break a habit. And mm -hmm. I found, and this, this relates to everything I do, um, it relates to the fiction writing, it relates to writing in general, it relates to organizing and habit forming, that in that four-week period, you start to create a ritualistic behavior. So think of Michael Phelps. <laughs> I always think of Michael Phelps right, swimming. Right. I saw him recently interviewed. I think he said he, he used to swim four to six hours each day. So mm -hmm. he's in, at the Olympics for that reason. He's a ritualistic practitioner. And like anything else, like you exercise, like you walk your dog or um, brush your teeth or do anything in a ritualistic behavior, it takes root and becomes a habit. So I wanted to take for um, a month things that were important to me. Now, 
I was living a very privileged life. I'm not exactly underprivileged in this world, but I did not have a sense of appreciation for the things I had in life. And, you know, with all of that wealth and um, shopping and running around New York City and having a great time came no great happiness. And to me, that was Mm -hmm. the part that was a little distressing. And I had grown up, you know, in in New Jersey, um, very, you know, middle-class suburban. We didn't really want for anything. We weren't overly excessive. But I think when I did get into my single life and living in the city, I started really over-shopping and really... Um, being a lot more materialistic than um, I could have, you know, should have been, let's say should. Um, so mm-hmm. I wanted to put things in balance, and that's where the it came from. You know, I don't applaud me too much. I gave up February 28-day month to give up shopping. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> i got to start somewhere, exactly. But you did it, and didn't the momentum build? I mean, because the inspiration here is you c- one can make a commitment to better oneself and take action day by day and get results over time, right? So did the yeah, momentum well, build? Like, oh, Absolutely, but the, the what the shift was were these subtle shifts. You know, people would say, oh, so, you know, you went in and changed your closet and it changed your life. Well, it did because... The idea was to change. I didn't know how to change. I was sitting stuck in the same apartment, same job, um, serial dating throughout Manhattan, didn't have a good relationship. Um, and it was just a cyclical thing that just kept going because I didn't. I just settled for what was there. I didn't try and change anything. I was very fearful of change. So as I began to do these little subtle changes, giving up multitasking or cell phones, or one month I gave up elevators and started walking and, you know, to try and become more active. I gave up coffee. I, I, I'm, coincidentally, I am off coffee again, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. that was probably the hardest thing. I don't recommend that one. <laughs> do anything else (laughs) but that one. Um, But what I learned in that year was how to change, how to do something differently, look at something differently. And after that year, that very next January, I left my corporate job. I started writing the first book about the experience, which Mm -hmm. wasn't the intent. The intent was to have the experience, not to write about it. And then I started Order, my consulting company, because I found other people were looking to do the same types of things. And I also moved out of my apartment, met my husband, and we got engaged that next year. So I got pretty comfortable with change. Yeah, that was a good year. That was a big year. That was a good so, year. <laughs> so our listeners are thinking, okay, so how how do I change? Because, I mean, most of us parents are really busy. And as you said, uh, I think stress and overwhelm come with the job. We just don't truly realize it until we're in it. And we want to be better parents. We want to be better people. We want to change these habits. What do you tell your clients? How does, how does, how do you go about change? The, The key to it is to start. Don't wait for some perfect condition to start. It doesn't have to be, you know, a sunny day in June. Start now and start with something small. Um, I, you know, I talk to a lot of parents in my own community here, and the biggest thing I tell them is you can say no thank you. You don't always Mm -hmm. have to say yes because, you know, clutter comes in your shoe closet, it comes in your spice rack, but it also comes in your schedule. And I think that that's the problem that most parents that I talk to in my community are having now is that we're so overscheduled and everything seems to be at equal proportion. I always use this um, 
this analogy. When you go to the Holland Tunnel and you're getting into the city, there are four mm-hmm. cars going in at the same time. They all have competing mm-hmm. priorities. It's, you have to take one at a time. And I think our inclination, especially with parenting-related events, is that this is for my child and I have to do it now. And I, you know, encourage people to say, you know, you, you can have it all. You just can't have it all on Tuesday. You really need to think about what are the right things to do, the necessary things to do now, and happily send the others away. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. And people think it has to be a personal indictment. I I can't do that, and it has to be, you know, met with some sort of, um, you know, hostility that you're turning something away. But you can simply flex your no thank you muscles and say this would be Mm -hmm. a great thing that I can do. I just can't take it on right now. And I always say, somebody had asked me to, um, people ask me to organize things all the time, obviously. They, they asked me to do a fundraiser, and I said, they said, you would be great at that. I said, I certainly would be great at that, but I can't do it this time, at this time because I like to do things fully. And if I can't devote myself mm-hmm. to it fully, then I cannot do it. So no thank you. And I think that's a really healthy way to limit how much you take on in your schedule and how much you take on for your children as well. So it's a balance for Absolutely. both you know, the individual and the family. Well, what you just said, which I, which I really like and is totally aligned with Parent Footprint, is when we're aware of what our goals are and what our vision is for how we want life to be now and in the future, we make decisions in the present based on those goals. So if we're not being mindful, we're just saying yes, 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 or just going through all of the, again, rigmarole of one thing to another with our lives and parenting. But if we're, we're, if we're trying to have a more balanced life, and if we have this goal of really thinking about a decision before we make it, it sounds like we're saying the same things. Like we can make choices that are in line with what our vision is. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's such a huge um, correlation between the organizing world and the parenting world because um, what we do in organizing and releasing clutter is releasing the emotion or the anxiety you feel about the task rather than doing the task mm-hmm. itself. What we try to do is manage, well, if I don't volunteer for this, how will they feel about me? And what will that look like? And does it look like I don't care? But in actuality, mm-hmm. to commit to something that you're not fully vested in is worse than saying, no, thank you. I can't do this right now. And then, you know, what you start to do is you build this cycle of, of um, shooting on yourself. I should do this. I should do that. And that happens with organizing a lot. I mean, people are so stressed out about their clutter when really the clutter is not the problem. It's how we feel about it. Yes. And I love that you just brought in good old, uh, old Dr. Albert Ellis with his uh, shooting on oneself, yeah. right? For everyone. So that, that was just, Mary said a great thing. I just want to explain that he started rationally motive behavioral therapy and it's all like the beginning of cognitive therapy. And one of the, the two things that he talked about, which you will never forget is one should never should on themselves or masturbate. And he, the, he thought the two words of must and should were the most debilitating words that made us feel awful. And you know yeah. what? We, and 
So we shouldn't should on ourselves, right? That's what we're saying here. Okay. That's exactly right. And I, I think that we, we all do that a lot. I mean, there's, there's certain things that obviously um, are beneficial for us to do, but um, I think the competing priorities um, notion has just gotten away from us, and, and certainly the social media world doesn't help either because I think we're often spending time talking about the things that we're doing rather than actually being in the moment and doing them. Um, so, you know, this weekend I was at a yoga retreat with a couple of moms, which was one of the first times I've ever been away for more than one night from my children because I, it doesn't occur to me to leave my family <laughs> too often. Yep. Um, I actually left New Jersey, too, so that was a big step for me. Big. <laughs> so, big. Um, yeah, but, it, you know, we spent the whole weekend not really using social media, and then towards the end, someone said, well, should we take a picture and post it to social media? And I said, well, we have to, because if if we don't do that, then it just really did not take place. This didn't happen unless mm-hmm. we put it on social media. So it's really interesting the way that our minds work now, too, um, to maybe not go through the critical thinking of, you know, accepting obligations, um, rejecting obligations, but also reporting on you know, these obligations and maybe accepting some of these obligations for the wrong reasons, which I think can happen a lot, too. Right. Well, and you know uh, better than anyone how our society is obsessed with stuff, and we mm-hmm. have devices attached to us which have scientifically figured out how to change our neurotransmitter serotonin and dopamine levels to to push buttons and to buy stuff. I mean, so I think we're at an all-time, you know, this is probably the most difficult time to resist all of this stuff. How how do you recommend people focus on the quality of family time, you know, getting putting devices and stuff away to focus on what's important in their lives? Yeah, I mean, it's the lesson of the fidget spinner. You know, the fidget spinner is this, you know, out of nowhere, yep. you know, Malcolm yep. Gladwell writes about the tipping point, how suddenly the fidget mm-hmm. spinner was in front of us. And my my kids who are in first and second grade, well, we need one. We have to have one. And we, you know, this is going to sound a little cruel, but we work on purposefully disappointing our children <laughs> to set oh, their expectations. Oh, I like that. Because, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we... I, that's that's one of my my goals with my children because I feel that my son is definitely has my shopping gene. My daughter not so much, so which is interesting. So I'm always you know talking them through. Well, what is the purpose of this thing? You can't bring it to school, and what's it for? And what was it designed for? And I just found it really interesting how things bubble up. And like you say, we're trained to then say we have to have this. So um, I work against that with clients in a couple of ways. One is I encourage people to love things that love them back. In other Mm -hmm. words, if you're telling me you love your coach bag, I would argue with you that that is not love because love in love there's reciprocity, we hope. So Mm -hmm. that's one way of not assigning these deeply felt emotions towards possessions. And also... The idea of living in experiences rather than possessions. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I find that with gift giving, too. Like, I'd rather take a friend out for a coffee or a meal than buy them another piece of jewelry. So living in experiences that are much more fulfilling than just in an object. So those are two lessons I work with with clients and certainly with my children 
I think my children would rather have me go outside and play ball with them than sit and do, you know, an iPad game or, you know, the fidget spin or whatever it is. I feel like the children, and I still see it, you know, I still see it with my kids. After school, if one child brings a ball after school, they all are entertained for an hour. They really mm. do want to live an experience. I think it is an inclination to live an experience. I do. Because it's fulfilling. Yeah, I love those two guiding principles. I'm, so I'm going to reiterate them. One is... Um, a, a true relationships involve emotional reciprocity. You get something back from that other being. Um, and secondly, living, living, focusing on experience versus things. I mean, it seems like with, if the, with those two things in mind, it's much easier to make decisions about what to get, what to say no to, and what to do. I really like that. Absolutely. I mean, we we try to, you know, it's really funny, just my husband and I, we try to think about our lifestyle and our family style as we had it. And we're both older parents. Um, so I'm, I'm 49 years old, and I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. So we started at mm-hmm. this game pretty late. So I think that sometimes, you know, you can look at that in a couple of ways. Sometimes I feel, oh, gosh, it would be great to have that 32-year-old body again. <laughs> And then I have to think, well, but I wouldn't have my 49-year-old mind and the experience and wisdom and and patience that comes as you're older. Because I think as a 32-year-old, I don't know that I would have been as well-equipped to be as patient with my children um, as I am now. And, you know, my lesson is always that we like to model our behavior to how we want them to be. And we really think of our, our own childhood, and that's that's a little while ago now, there wasn't as much distraction. So we're always trying to block out some of those other stimuli that, you know, the modern world is throwing at us. So we go to the library, you know, certainly that was the most important thing I ever did in my life. My mother took me to the library to get Judy Bloom books every Saturday. And I would oh, read them I all. Oh, I remember and, those. Mm-hmm. And then I'd get Laura Ingalls Wilder and I'd read them all and I'd go back. And, you know, it was an internal and, and private experience as a child, but it just opened up the world to me. Um, and that's something that we do now with our children. And I just think that those ways of connection, you know, it connects me with my past and it connects my children to what I did, because then they ask the question, well, what kind of books did you get? You know, and it it opens Mm -hmm. up this whole new world for them as well. Well, and our kids are always watching, uh, even when they're not watching, they're absorbing our energy. And if our energy is burnt out or negative or anxious or depressed, you know, that that impacts them. You know, a lot of parents, we feel like, oh, no, no, we're keeping that from them. And unfortunately, we're not because we can't. Um, and so this whole idea of being fully engaged in life in our own lives has just incredible positive um kickback and rewards for our kids, both from an energetic level, but also seeing us pursue our dreams. And not only did you want to, you know, stumbled into writing, but really have always loved books and writing, this latest venture for you is really, you know, your first novel, you know, tell us how, how that really is about stepping in to following your passion. Well, I was afraid of it for so long. I, I wrote it after I wrote my first book and then I put it in a drawer and got really frightened. Um, and it was so scary that I, you know, got married and had two kids to 
to avoid it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was that scary. Um, So I left it for a while, and it wasn't until I had a client about four years ago who had seen me do a talk on clutter. She had contacted me. I think she had seen me something like eight years ago, and it took her four years to contact me. When I finally wow. went to her home, she was also a writer, and the job she wanted me to do was file all of these short stories and novels she had written that she had never published. And I came home and I said to my husband, told him about the experience, and he said, you don't want to be that woman who has a novel in her drawer that you never published it. You should work on this. So I pulled it out, mm-hmm. and it took another two years and wow. hired um, someone to coach me through it and um, keep me on plan, which is always good. As you hire an organizer, you can hire a life coach or a writing coach or whatever you need. Sometimes it's, right. it's okay not to do it alone. And that was that Absolutely. was true of me. I needed some accountability. And um, I did that for a summer, and then I, um, I'm publishing it this year. So it was a leap of faith. It was a leap into the unknown. Um, but I, I go by the philosophy of leap, and the net will appear. And, and it has. So I think that there's something in that leap that gives mm-hmm. you the confidence to then move forward. Hear that, everyone? Leap and the net will appear. That just brought me back to Indiana Jones when he had to take a step <laughs> into that chasm and then the, uh, the road appeared. So yes. I love that. I love that. Um, leap and the net will appear. And the other thing that you have that you have said is that even though this is your first novel, this is almost your most, did you say truthful book? How would you describe it? You know, it's, it's funny because I, it's written in a first person narrative format and it, it, it explores many of the themes that I as an adult have been exploring. So it takes a walk through book publishing. It takes a walk mm-hmm. through the self-help industry. There's a little bit of client work in there. So it does draw on many of the experiences and people that I've met. Um, and it takes place in New Jersey, and the woman is um, part of a large Italian family that can be extraordinarily helpful. So... Um, mm-hmm. It is very reflective of many of the experiences that I have had. And in a way, it's, it's much more truthful. In the nonfiction works, I'm often conveying other people's stories. Um, the first book was a first-person narrative, but in the second books that followed, I was talking about other people's stories and ancient wisdom. So it feels good to come back to my truth a little bit, to write a little bit of, you know, what, what you know. So I write what I know, and initially that was shopping, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's this kind of exploration into a woman's journey of finding herself. And your kids are watching you live it and do it, right? You're yes, role modeling they're writing that for themselves, them. too. There's such a great um, focus on writing for children now, which is great, and I... Um, I was really just, my heart swelled because when my kids first started going to school, they told the teacher that I was an author. And I think Mm. at that point, I wasn't really talking to them too much about it, but at four and five and, well, of course, six, they're much more aware, but in kindergarten, they were telling their their teachers that I was an author. And I, I don't remember really talking to them so much about it. I just remember doing it. I would be writing an article and they would know what I was doing. And it's, they're always watching. They know. They're all, That's and they're wonderful. listening. And they listen. And they're listening. They're like little yep. sponges. 
Well, and this is a good segue then to our parent footprint moment where it is now your turn, Mary, to tell everyone about your parent footprint moment where you became aware of something about yourself as an individual or as a parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your kids? Well, I think the entire idea of writing and going to the library has been the most universal lesson I've had um, Hmm. with them. And I did have that awareness when I was invited to come into the classroom to read as a mystery reader. And um, the teacher, who I, I hadn't talked to her about this at all, she had known that I was a writer, and she asked me to bring in my own books to show the kids. And it was just really a great way of me seeing my son in a much different way, too, of him in the classroom. And he was so happy and so proud that I was there and that I was able to show a book. And the kids were really just so interested in meeting someone who had actually written a book. So for me, that was just such a wonderful moment. Because I think throughout, like, the first few years of your child's life, you look at them, and then that was the first moment where I saw my son looking at me. Mm. So it was really mm. interesting. Mm. And, that, and then, you know, your relationship then evolves from there, because I think that as you have an identity as a parent, you don't think you really have an identity in those early years because you're so focused on them. And then suddenly it switches, and I think that's the phase I'm in now where what I do, what I say, how I act is much more important than ever. Absolutely. It all matters. It all matters. I mean, the way that they see us ponder, the way that they see us react, the way that they see us take a breath before reacting, it all matters. So um, thank you for sharing that moment. And uh, Mary, thank you for sharing everything. I, I mean, your path is inspirational. And what I love is you're out there just modeling for everyone that everyone can do this, right? Everyone can take steps in their life to make the changes they want. And from what you said, we just have to start one step at That's a time. It. Mm-hmm. That's it, people. Mary, tell everyone where they can find your all of your stuff, your new book, Best Friends for Hire, that's coming out. Where should they track you and find you? Well, um, that book comes out June 20th. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Mary Carla Magno Author. I also have MaryCarlaMagno.com. And um, Twitter handle is Mary Carla Magno. So it's really all, it's all my name. <laughs> so put in her name and you will find her. You will find her. Mary, thanks so much. I am going to take my own steps. You have inspired me. Everyone, thank you for listening to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Remember, you can be the person you want your kids to become. You can live with purpose and presence and parent with purpose. And I'll leave you with the guiding question I always do. What footprint do you want to leave?